is a bloody disgusting podcast network. to horror queers we're talking about how sugar will kill you we're talking final destination cape deaths and we're talking trading blowjobs for prom queen status and i'm joe and i'm trace and we're talking killer chalkboards ripped right out of a nightmare on elm street oh so much nightmare on elm street i know but i love it we're talking hello mary lou prom night too everybody is this the best sequel title after electric boogaloo you know i've seen (laughs) yes Uh, i've seen recently that apparently like it's just considered prom night 2 and i'm like removing the hello mary lou from this title like hurts it because the movie's so dumb and stupid that it needs it it's cheeky and playful and it's totally in sync with what this movie is doing it diminishes it to a mere sequel status and i'm not okay with that which, as we all know, is not what this movie is. <laughs> Do we? Wink, wink, nudge, nudge. We'll talk about it. Um, yes. And, you know, ideally, you know, we had programmed this episode around this time, because this is dropping at the end of May to coincide with prom season. <laughs> I don't think that's going to be happening, so... <laughs> Probably not, but I still want to encourage people to tag us in pictures of them wearing prom outfits. You know what? Just because you're not leaving the house doesn't mean that you shouldn't get guzzied up. I think it's going to be like Zoom, a lot of Zoom proms, right? Like people will just like hold their computer up and dance with their significant other. Oh my god, that's so sad. Okay, well don't say that. Some of them may be I listening. Mean, <laughs> have really embraced those cherished moments, folks. Just go for it. <laughs> Before we get too deep into this film, uh, we do have a guest on board today, and it's someone I'm excited to have on. Uh, ladies and gentlemen and everyone in between, you've read their work at Slash Film and Birth Movies Death, the latter of which they have a queer horror column titled Queer Underworld that offers a queer reading of genre films. Please welcome Lee Monson. Hi. Hi. <laughs> I'm also excited for my virtual prom. I'm going to hold my tablet up, hold it tight, and... Just bring that thing in close for a very close dance. So cute. So adorable. We're going to have to do that when this episode drops, is like just have a video of all of us doing that, like a virtual prom. A Zoom prom. (laughs) Uh, You know, I'm not going to lie. I do wish that we had a scene like some baby blue tuxedo wear in this movie. Because it was already going for the Carrie stuff. I would have liked it to have just embraced it fully. But that's the thing with this movie, though, right? Like, it's doing Carrie, but in the 80s. Because then you've got the Nightmare on Elm Street. Which, this movie was compared to a Nightmare on Elm Street a lot. And, of course, Carrie. I actually see a lot of a Nightmare on Elm Street 2 in this film. Oh, there's a ton. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Very similar sort of vibe. Very, very camp vibe going to it that they both share. Yeah, I won't lie, I was doing research for this episode, and the first one that pops up, Lee, is your piece, so I was like, oh, fuck, I'm not gonna look at that now, (laughs) because I don't want to ruin that magic. (laughs) That's amazing. It's funny, because I was looking over that piece before we were recording, and I'm like, oh man, I am smart. Did I say all these things? <laughs> Sometimes it's so reassuring when you see yourself in print and you think, oh, that actually sounds like I know what I'm talking about. Uh-huh. <laughs> As compared to what you sound like on a podcast where you sound like a fucking idiot. Yep. No, editing fixes all of that. I've never editing sounded like an idiot on this podcast. 
Um, well, before we get too much into, like, the release specifics of the film, so, Joe, I know this was your first time watching this. Obviously, Lee, this was not your first time. Um, can y'all, well, Joe, we'll get to you last, maybe, because you're the baby. Um, Lee, what is your connection with this film? So, I actually didn't really come to this film until maybe a couple years ago. Uh, I think I remember watching it on, like, local access television at some point when I was younger, and, like, when I watched it as an adult, I kind of... Like, a lot of stuff came back to me. But, yeah, I I don't really have, like, a ton of history with this film. It's just something that I came across as an older viewer, uh, specifically searching out queer horror. Mm. And uh, this this was one that came up on a lot of lists, and I watched it, and I'm like, oh, I I am in love with this antagonist. I love Mary Lou. (laughs) Like, she is one of my favorite slasher villains, really. I really wish that Mary Lou had become... A, a Freddy-like sensation just because I, I love what's going for her. And yeah, she's a bit derivative, but I don't I don't give a shit. Like, she's awesome. I will disagree that she's derivative. I think she's a hoot and a half. <laughs> <laughs> I can see the complaints. Like, oh, she's very similar to a lot of other wisecracky villains, but I think the fact that she's female is mm-hmm. the thing that really helps to set her apart and obviously makes her a giant queer icon. Well, and we're going to go back in, I mean, because Joe, back from our very first like official episode with Scream, where we delved into wh- wh- why do queer people latch on to a bitch so much, you know, with Gail mm-hmm. Weathers. This is a bit of a, I mean, it's similar, like, I can see a lot of, well, I guess really Mary Lou and Gail Weathers, as opposed to the other way around, but but this is, again, a full-on villain that we like, so mm-hmm. I'm interested to kind of dive into that aspect of it. Absolutely, yeah. Uh, so this was my first experience, and it was interesting because I went in knowing about the popularity and what seems to me like a resurgence in popularity of mm-hmm. this film and the character, particularly among the queer masses like i think we're the last queer podcast to cover this film like everybody else has had a go at it i was gonna bring that up too because i was like I, should i say it should i say everyone else has done it and we're just like caboosing it up i don't know but that's what we're doing absolutely but that to me speaks to how enamored our particular audience is with this icon like I had never heard of Mary Lou until I really started to get into queer horror, and then all of a sudden she's fucking everywhere. It seemed like it was around probably 2015 when I started, like, I'd heard about it. Um, I actually only saw, I actually saw this on the big screen uh, for my first viewing because oh, really? Alamo Drafthouse did a Terror Tuesday of it, and nice. I wasn't going to go, but someone had told me that it was surprisingly like, very funny. I'm not a huge fan of the original Prom Night, except for the dance sequence, which is, like, about 90 <laughs> minutes long. Um, and it's the entire run of the first movie. It's just Jamie Lee <laughs> Curtis feeling her oats on the dance floor. I actually went back and I rewatched that dance scene um, after I finished watching this movie again. And I, I was watching it and I was like, it's three and a half minutes long. And I was like, I cannot believe this 80, 1980, 81, whatever slasher film just grinds to a halt for this three and a half minute dance sequence. <laughs> it's a thing of beauty. I love it. Um, but yes, yeah, so I, I was very pleasantly surprised with this film. It's just so fun. And I think, and we'll get into it when we get to the title of the film, but I really do think that had it been released on its own and not as Prom Night 2 as, you know, it was changed to later, I think it might have done better. I don't know. It's super Canadian, though, so maybe it wouldn't have resonated with us. Maybe. Yeah. I mean, I would have been interested. I know what the original title of the film was. I don't think that would have been great. 
I don't know if you could have just released it as Hello, Mary Lou, or if that would have been too confusing. Like, it doesn't sound like a horror film even, so... Well, and, I mean, the rhyming really helps out as far as making it stick in your mind. (laughs) Yeah. And if Americans love anything, it's it's a rhyme scheme that can just stick with you. (laughs) It's kind of amazing. And listeners, if for some ungodly reason you have not seen this film, it is streaming for free on Amazon Prime. Um, That's where I watched it in full-on pan-and-scan glory. Jesus Uh, fucking Christ. Well, yeah, because we haven't gotten a Blu-ray. Shout out to Kill by Kill, whose, like, number one complaint is why the fuck is this movie not out on blue? Yeah, I I hate that there's no high-def version of this. It's... It's an insult. It's absolutely an insult. And I'll piggyback. It is also available on Shudder. There you go. Okay. Yep. Oh, you know what? So I actually, I watched the first half of Joe Bob's version of this, but I was drunk and I fell asleep. <laughs> oh, a testament to Joe Bob's popularity. <laughs> it's, I, I know, Joe, you're not like crazy about Joe Bob's shtick. Not my favorite. It's hit or miss with me. Like, I didn't grow up with him. Um, my husband did, and he loves him. But okay. it's not it's neither here nor there. Here nor there. Oh, my God. <laughs> here nor horny? What? Mary Lou? <laughs> Is that you? Um, but yeah, so <laughs> listeners, in case you... I mean, yeah, I, th- this movie has nothing to do with the original Prom Night, if you haven't, except for the fact that the schools are the same. So weird. So weird. In name only, though, right? It's not the same building. No, because this looks like a fucking church. Yes. Well, <laughs> I think they might have used the same set for the church and the school. I mm-hmm. would not be surprised at all because I got really confused about geography a couple of times in this film. Me too. <laughs> but it's also thematically relevant. <laughs> but there's also so many establishing shots. Like, I think half the runtime of this movie is establishing shots of buildings. <laughs> <laughs> Who can say? I'm so busy looking at the ladies' hair and the men's vests. There, mm, this movie is so fun. Like I, I wrote in my review last night, I was like, "This movie has no right to be as fun as it is." So, on that note, I guess we'll just dive into it. So, yes, Hello, Mary Lou, Prom Night Two, released October sixteenth, nineteen eighty-seven, by the Samuel Goldwyn Company. I don't know. Rest in peace. Yeah, are they a thing? I don't. <laughs> oh, think yeah, so. they're still around. Are they? Are they the ones like where I think nowadays like it's um their their credit card is like a blue it's like a blue screen with like the same old Golden Company written in cursive, right? Yeah, that's right. They do a lot of like releasing through um ah uh, fuck landmark. They they do most of their theatrical releases through that theater chain. Gotcha. Mm. See, I always get them confused with Sony Pictures Classics because it's very similar. It's like just the same mm-hmm. blue background, but they're obviously like. <laughs> Very different types of films. Different types of film. Yeah. Well, you can tell the difference because one's in print and the other's in cursive. And it's funny because the one that puts out like not classic good Oscar bait films is the one that's in cursive. (laughs) This is the only good thing that we can do. We have good handwriting and then we release schlocky films. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, we're looking at a runtime of 97 minutes and a budget. And Joe, maybe you can convert this for I me. I did convert this for you, so I can <laughs> help. <laughs> I, I was shocked at all. So, Lee, we have a running thing on this show where everything's Canadian. Everything. Everything, Everything in the film and entertainment industry <laughs> is Canadian. <laughs> it's not my and fault. Joe never stops, never hesitates to tell me that. It's true. But yes, a budget of 2.5 million Canadian dollars. So, Joe, mm-hmm. what is that? So this translates into 1.85 American in the year 1987. Okay. That's approximate. Like, it depends on what time of year they were shooting in this, like when they had their budget. You're going to get someone come to come at you and be like, I don't want to be picky, but Joe's right. conversion's wrong. 
<laughs> yeah, it basically translates to 1.41 American dollars equals one Canadian dollar. Um, has that always been the case? Or just, doesn't it like a job? Sorry, that's not important. <laughs> it does move up and down. Like we, we usually go somewhere between 1.4 and 1.3. We're now back to economics queers. So <laughs> economics is actually one of two classes I made season in high school, and it was economics and government. <laughs> so wow, okay. I know, and I love math, but I did not. I, I still to this day don't understand economics. Okay, mine was physics. Oh, I made sorry one of three classes I made a C in, in high school. <laughs> <laughs> I, I did make a C in physics. <laughs> well, Mr. Craven would be very disappointed in you. In oh this my movie. God, the potato radio. Oh, Ooh, another rhyme. <laughs> <laughs> But anyway, chock a block. <laughs> Sorry. So yeah, this opens in '87 at the number twelve slot uh, with nine hundred eleven thousand three hundred and fifty-one dollars. Oh, Mary Lou, this just hurts. Box Office Mojo only had two weekends recorded for this, and it, it, it ended up making two point seven million dollars um, American dollars. That's what I thought was weird. The budget was listed in Canadian, but the gross was listed in American. This is what we call a beautiful tax write-off here in Canada. So we have like a particular period where the Canadian government was desperately trying to attract American films. So like that's why a lot of cheap American slashers came to Canada. So this is later than a lot of them, but it was probably another case where the Canadian government paid for most of this film. And then it was released in America where it then made American money. Hmm. Uh, so it's, it's the Arrowverse of the 80s, basically. Correct. Yes. Oh my god, Lee, are you an Arrowverse person? Uh, I am a Supergirl person. I don't really watch any of the other shows. That's, That's fair. fair. That's I fair. like Supergirl a lot. You should really watch Legends of Tomorrow. I keep hearing that. I keep hearing that. <laughs> Amelia and I are going to like I... go, go off on you forever. No, I know. I know. You're never going to leave me alone about it. <laughs> Lee, the reason you should watch Legends of Tomorrow is because it is the Hello Mary Lou of the Arrowverse. <laughs> It actually is. It's also the queerest show in the Arrowverse. There's gays, mm -hmm. bi's, trans. Yeah, every I guess everything. the Supergirl has trans now too. Mm -hmm. But True. um, yeah, Legends has everything. But sorry, <laughs> not talking. About, I, I'm I'm getting off my soapbox. We're not getting paid to promote Legends of Tomorrow. Uh, but CW, call us, oh, dude. Right. <laughs> so this was filmed in Alberta. Joe, is yes. that near you? No, it is not. <laughs> is that on the west side then? Yes, it's the province or what you would call a state next to BC, which is like one of the two big hubs in Canada. So normally we talk about like, oh, the Arrowverse shows, they're all shot in Vancouver. That's in BC, which is right on the coast. Alberta is the province I grew up on, which is the next province over. And BC is British Columbia, right? Correct. For people who aren't Canadian and don't know. No, that. it's the district Whatever. of Columbia. You guys were like landmark theaters. I'm like, what the fuck is a landmark theater? All we have is Cineplex Odeon. <laughs> Um, I hate okay. Canada sometimes. <laughs> Dude, I'm right there with you, and you're not making me like it. Whatever, at least we have healthcare and, like, a prime minister who doesn't suck balls. That's true. I'll give you that. So, Prom Night 2 <laughs> was originally titled um, The Haunting of Hamilton High. Oof. But, hey, so uh, this is the tidbit that I found. The producer, Peter Simpson, reshot half of the film before it completed production so that they could... Well, I don't know if it was because they wanted to rebrand it as a Prom Night sequel, or... If it was just shitty, and then they redid it, and then they decided to rebrand it as a Prom Night sequel. I didn't I didn't really get that. Do, do y'all have any insight on that? I actually don't know anything about the production history of this movie. Yeah, no. it, it's hard to find, to be honest. Mm -hmm. I just don't think that many people care about this movie except us. And by us, I mean queers. And maybe <laughs> horror aficionados, but like... 
I think that this was probably a case where they wanted to shoot a low-budget film. They realized that it wasn't doing quite as much as it could. They got some extra money to juice it up. And then they realized, oh, fuck, we should try to tie this in with an established franchise. Or <laughs> established in quotation marks. Well, and I-, I can see this being a film, though, for the for the five people that did see it in theaters, that if they go to it expecting a connection to Prom Night 1 in some shape, way, or form, mm-hmm. you're going to walk out of this movie disappointed. Oh, which I think is absolutely what happened and why it failed so dramatically at the box office. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I was trying to think of like a modern example of what that would be like, of like what that would be. It's like a reverse Friday the 13th part two to Friday the 13th. Sure. Not exactly a modern example. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I'm here for the kids. I know. I, I mean, I, I didn't watch the trailers to this film, so I didn't know if the marketing was like, they give away a lot. We'll put it that way. Oh, really? It's one of those? I mean, it's... They literally give away the last shot of this film in that trailer. No, they do not. <laughs> yep. Michael Ironside with a little shine in his eye. <laughs> oh, God. Oh, Michael trailers. Ironside. So, okay. Sorry. I'll stop. We can go into the plot because I figured we'll get to the small details there. But, yes. Michael sure, Ironside. Because also my, my plot recap is so fucking long because, like, I want to talk about everything in this movie. Oh. Every scene is gold. We didn't ask Joe, so you watched this for the first time last night, mm-hmm. and you have at least a year of hype about this film. You know, one of those, oh, hidden gems of horror, blah, 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 blah. Mm-hmm. Did it live up to the hype for you? I quite like it. This isn't like, oh, it's a camptacular five out of five stars. Mm-hmm. I ended up rating it a four, if only because I felt like there were a couple of points maybe that I was like, hmm, yeah, this is fine. Mostly it's because I wanted more fucking Mary Lou. Yes. No shade to uh, Vicky and whatever her name is, Wendy Lyon. Mm-hmm. She's doing her best, but like Lisa Schrage, Schrage. I was saying Schrag, but I could be okay. wrong too. Uh, Lisa S. Yeah. is fucking killing it, and I just kept wishing that they would remove the Vicky character and put in Lisa. Like, okay, we all know that Vicky is possessed, and now here is Mary Lou. I think that's a big audience leap. It assumes too much of them. Because the rest of the characters have to see Vicky as Vicky. And I actually think that Wendy Lyon does a fantastic job of playing both characters. She does a really good job of going back and forth between them. Like, particularly in that one scene where she's, like, putting on the lipstick in front of the mirror. When Mm -hmm. she, like, realizes what she's doing. I think that's a fantastic character moment for her. Or when the evil rocking horse is fellating her fingers. Yes, that too. <laughs> no, I, I, I get both sides of what you're saying. So, Joe, I agree with you about Lisa What's-Her-Face. Um, she's fantastic. And I, <laughs> I, I'm coming off of this just watching an episode of Watchmen when Regina King is, like, living the memories of someone else, but occasionally the film, like, shows her in the role. So I, that's the technique you're talking about, though, where it's like, okay, More yes, everyone else is seeing Vicky, but obviously we, like, the camera showing us Mary Lou. Yeah, and and I'll agree with you, Lee. I don't think that Wendy Lyon is doing a bad job. I just loved Lisa. Lisa's really good. I'm not going to argue with you about that. Like, she is amazing. And I, I think it's just if she was in it a little bit more. Like, the film opens with this kind of extended bit where we get so much of her, and then she's just gone. And I knew she was coming back because I'd seen stills of, you know, her, her and the makeup and... So I, I knew to expect that she was going to come back. And I think that also ended up affecting my watch because I was like, I'm sure that's going to be the end of the film. But maybe she comes back a little bit more often interspersed in other scenes. 
You know what's weird, though? Because, again, this is the second time I've seen it. I remembered Mary Lou being in it more, but I'm actually attributing that now to the fact that I, I'm going to go with Lee here. Wendy Lyon is so good at emulating Mary Lou, and granted, it's mm-hmm. not the same thing, but she's really good at it. That I, her imitation shines through right yeah like i I, she was so good at like being mary lou that i actually thought that the actress playing mary lou was in the movie more Mm -hmm. huh yeah absolutely it's a powerhouse lead performance i'm not gonna lie the fact that neither one of them became i mean because like i I think um lion was well she was in the shape of water a couple years ago um which is cool but she was mostly known for doing like a tv movie version of little house on the prairie who the hell was she in shape of water that's what I I'm wanted to know. I'm betting like a random inmate or maybe like an employee of the lab. Yeah. <laughs> She's like one of the women who cleans, but like five back from Octavia Spencer. Yeah. Right. But then she did like six episodes of Designated Survivor with Kiefer Sutherland last year on Netflix. Huh. Okay. So I don't know. So she's still working. No, she she is still working. Um, Who is not working is um Miss Lisa What's-Her-Face, who didn't really do anything after this, despite there being a prom night three and four, which I've never seen either one, but I know that Mary Lou is a prominent feature in three, but she didn't return for it. Ugh. It's a big shame, because this is an actress with charisma mm-hmm. to spare. And she's so pretty. Not that it matters, but she's very pretty. Well, I mean, it doesn't hurt, right? Like, typically, if an actress doesn't have the looks, it means that she has to work harder to get noticed, whereas here, she's clearly got the chops, and she's got, like, a sellable mug. Yeah. That's me using my Elvis Presley lingo. There's something very menacing about her smile. Like, mm-hmm. there's a part where she's just smiling at someone and it's like, oh, you're an evil bitch. I see it. I love that part where she orders the girl, like, don't fuck with the cape. Just get me the tiara. <laughs> oh, it's <laughs> <Yes>. so <laughs> Well, because she's, like, fiddling with the string and she can't quite get the cape undone. And she's just like, fuck off. Just get me my fucking crown. I want to be queen. It reminds me, and this is, again, like, not really related, but it reminds me of a scary movie whenever Shannon Elizabeth wins the beauty pageant in the I Know You Did Last Summer spoof, and she just goes, give me the crown, bitch! (laughs) Right. Well, I'm curious, because I know that this movie is obviously aping a bunch of other horror films, like we've got The Exorcist, we've got Mm -hmm. Carrie, we've got Nightmare. Do you feel like other films have aped this film? Like, has this film had a cultural legacy that people don't talk about in future horror films? I, mm, I'm going to say no, maybe in terms of plot aspects, maybe the tone, because I guess we'll get into a discussion of camp too, but like so many reviews at the time, uh, oh, which by the way, sorry, uh, we're looking at 42% of Rotten Tomatoes, but a 6.4 out of 10 on Letterboxd, so people get it. Right. But so many reviews at the time criticized it for ripping off like other horror films, as we've just mentioned. This feels very much like a knowing homage to me. Mm -hmm. Oh, it's so meta. And that's kind of what I'm like, what, what, I mean, maybe it was because it was the time period, but like, I really appreciate what this film is doing and it seems very in on the joke, but I don't think that critics got that at the time. Which is super dumb because as we've talked about, we've already had student bodies by this point. So we've already had a film that knowingly lampoons slasher conventions. So this shouldn't be a new thing for critics. It's like they went in and said, oh, it's not a comedy, although it is. So as a result, they just overlook the fact that it's obviously doing a wink-wink, nudge-nudge amidst the regular slasher conventions. Well, and there's a there's a school of criticism that I don't agree with that kind of persists to this day in that if you're not doing something that's 100% original, it means that you're not worth your, anyone's time. 
And yeah. <laughs> that I disagree with wholeheartedly. Like you can take elements from here and there and everywhere and remix them however the fuck you want. That's how art works. Like nobody exists in a vacuum, dude. And see, that reminds me just of Brian De Palma doing Dress to Kill, you know, like critics were split on that film because they were either like, oh, it's such a nice homage to Hitchcock or, oh, he's literally just ripping off Psycho from beginning to end. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And guess what? Both can be true. Both can be valid. Both can be fine. Yeah. But then we have this movie, which was directed not by Brian De Palma. Right. <laughs> and yeah, I don't know. It just it just there. But it, going back to your earlier questions to whether films down the line have like taken cues from this movie. Um, I'm sure they have. Nothing springs to mind immediately, though. I'm by no means a scholar about this movie. So that's OK. We're going to have fun. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> that's all we're looking to do here. <laughs> but Joe, I have one question before we get to your plot summary. So in the queer notes for this film on our spreadsheet, it said gay screenwriter. I couldn't find anything on Ron Oliver that said if he was gay or not. Oh, really? Granted, I did, like, a quick Google search and, like, looked at his Wikipedia, didn't mention it, but I didn't know if, like, you had seen that somewhere. I mean, it does say Mary Lou as queer icon, which is 100% true. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I think there's, there's like, a little bit of lesbian baiting in the one scene. Um, That's what it was. The faculty. The locker oh, room scene. Yes. Yes. Yeah. I apologize. And so... I, I, I have thought this before, but I will also credit listener Cody Landman. Yeah, he asked um, if we thought that the nude locker room sequence with Vicky, where she's stalking Monica, uh, was basically taken and put into the faculty. Robert Rodriguez is the faculty whenever Mary Beth is huh. going around stalking mm-hmm. Josh Hartnett and Elijah Wood in the locker room. And I 100% saw it without seeing that comment beforehand. It's so I'm even like the, the girls. Yes. Like the yeah, I didn't. Nude blonde girls. I didn't make that connection, but now that you say it. Right? Huh. <laughs> because we know that Kevin Williamson watched all of these movies. Like, he would have sought out Prom Night 2. Mm-hmm. And can't you see him going to Robert Rodriguez saying, hey, look, so this is an homage to Prom Night 2, so don't fuck it up, okay? <laughs> but also it's a chance for you to put a teen girl's tits on the big screen right well i'm trying to think if i consider robert Rodriguez to be like kind of like creepy in that way but i don't think i do nah he's fine but i also get the impression that he would be a fan of something lewd oh 100 i mean yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> just see planet terror <laughs> <laughs> and also from dust till dawn yeah <laughs> okay shall we dig in let's go in So we are introduced to Mary Lou Maloney as she visits the church confessional booth. This is so good. It's such a great way to open a film. This gets the tone of the film off right away. And that's the thing, you know, if if you watch this and you're like, that's stupid. Well, you're not going to enjoy this movie. (laughs) It's such a good villain introduction. I love Mary Lou from moment one. Yeah, you think that she is a pious teenager. She's going in here to confess her sins, and she seems so honest, right? She's talking about how she's been bad to her parents. She's been dating boys. She's been doing bad things. And then she talks about how much she enjoyed it. And then we see that she has left her phone number like it's a fucking gay bathroom stall. And boys, give her a call. I have this monologue that I'm going to totally say out loud. How did I know you were going to do this? It's the only thing I wrote down. But do you know what uh, 90s slasher sequel totally ripped off this opening scene? Well, not totally, but kind of. What? I still know what you did last summer, baby. When she goes to fucking, like, uh, ask for forgiveness for killing the fisherman. Oh, God, yes. I mean, you know, Jennifer Hewitt doesn't say some of the things that Mary Lou says in this scene, but... (laughs) 
Yeah, okay. We've also got a villain who jumps out of a out of a mirror in that one, right? Yeah, but I think in this one he like brings the hook because it's a dream. And he brings the mm-hmm. hook, whatever. He brings the hook through the the partition. Anyway, so she says, "Forgive me, Father, for I have sinned. It has been three months since my last confession. I've disobeyed my parents many times. I've taken the Lord's name in vain many, many times. times. <laughs> I've had sinful relations with boys at my school." Many times. Many boys. Many boys. Many times. <laughs> and the priest is like, those are great sins, my child. Oh, but there is one more thing. I loved every second of it. Uh, <laughs> I can't remember. Is this movie R-rated? Yes. Yes. Okay. Um, if you show Bush in a movie, it's going to get R-rated. There are some titties in this movie. i just thinking, like, how much better would it have been if she had said, I fucking loved it. Uh, well, yeah, because they say fucking... Again, more than two, maybe three fucks, automatic R rating. Right. This movie has those things, so I don't really know. Mm-hmm. Okay. I mean, it's probably like you don't want to open your movie with the F word. You're uh, already introducing your lead character as a slut. Uh, sure. I, I don't. Well, I don't know. I. <laughs> I feel like if Freddie can throw bitch around like it's nobody's business, uh, she can so throw. Awkward. Barry Lou can throw some fucks in into her opening monologue. This is released about six months after Nightmare Three. Okay, so it's before we're in bitch territory. I mean, he's kind because he says, "Oh, that's right, prime time That's bitch. right, primetime bitch is where we started, and then four right. was when they really cranked it up. That's yeah, right. four four is when they really like latched onto that persona of Freddy Krueger. Yeah, that's right. Jesus. Uh, okay, so let's go to prom. Okay, we are at <laughs> Hamilton High School. The year is 1957, which just recontextualizes that opening scene in a completely different way <laughs> because you're like, okay, we're in the 80s. It's you know, it's a bit shameful, but not that bad. And then you're like, oh, God, she's 1957, slut? I mean. <laughs> Get no. yours, Mary Lou. I, I agree. It's it's so bizarre to be like, oh, girl, this is the 50s. Like, you put that scene and this prom scene up against, like, Dirty Dancing, which is also a 1980s movie that's set in the, uh, that's set in the 60s. But either way, it's close enough. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's very bizarre. I love it. I love it. So she is there with her date, Billy, but she is only with Billy for the money. So she sends him on an errand so that she can sneak off with Buzz Cooper and his big package. She is a cocky little cunt, and (laughs) it's kind of admirable, but also it's like, girl, you had some brass balls under that dress. Yeah, like she does not give two fucks because... Oh no, she gives more than two fucks. (laughs) (laughs) she gives all the fucks to all the boys i think i wrote she's straight up fucking this guy backstage Uh uh-huh yes yeah so they are immediately discovered by billy and she does not care she takes buzz out onto the dance floor and in front of everyone she makes fun of billy that doesn't go well so he uh happens to grab a stink bomb that has been left in the boys bathroom and as she is being crowned prom queen he climbs up into the rafters from some carrie-esque retribution where he inadvertently lights her on fire and she burns to death in front of all of her classmates who literally do nothing (laughs) for a movie with a budget of 2.5 million canadian dollars this effect is really good it's excellent i read somewhere that like at the time it was the longest like sequence or like like longest filming time of like a person being burned Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, it feels like it goes on for a good three to five minutes. It looks good, though. I mean, like, because it kind of, you, the close-ups of her face, you can kind of see some char marks coming. But I love when she sees Billy in the rafters. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. She's going, like, full Two-Face there with, like, whole, with, yeah. like half of her face gone. And she's just, like, looking up at him. It's like, you did this to me. It's so yep. good. Now, when we get into the, the rules of the possession in a bit, I have questions. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we're going to try to introduce logic into this, are we? Rules are for nerds. Well, you, you did f- fail to mention that the, the prologue is told via an open trunk. Yeah, m- mostly because I was just like, all right, magic trunk, got it. Because that's basically what they do is they, they seemingly just shove her charred skeleton into the trunk and then call it a day. No, 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 no. wait. No, they put, the, they put the cape and the tiara in the trunk. Yes, because she's but there's buried. Like a skeleton head on the floor. <laughs> uh, you know what? The, that's a continuity error because okay. because yeah, because they they go to her grave her a lot grave. and dig yeah. it up to see her, right? But she's not mm-hmm. there. Yeah, they they dig up her grave later. Yeah, but she's not there, man. Those are bodies. Well, he digs up her <laughs> grave to look for her body. <laughs> yes, right, Correct. but it's not in there. So are we then to presume that? Hey, okay. So conspiracy of this town. She burns alive. They don't want to tell anyone. So they put her in this trunk with her cape and her crown. The cape is not charred because she never got to put it on. But the crown is also not charred. Whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, but then the town still had to like let it be known that she was dead. Mm-hmm. So they made a gravestone for her and a burial plot. But no one ever thought to be like, so how did she die? <laughs> Well, it seems like it's kind of common knowledge because Monica does talk about it later, but it's talked about in urban legend-ish terms. Like, oh, 1957, isn't that the year that that girl kind of burned to death at prom? (laughs) We don't know her name. Hey, Principal Billy, didn't you kill your girlfriend at prom 30 years ago? Dude, how, how did he become principal of this school? Uh, patriarchy, motherfucker. (laughs) <laughs> white man because he is there a white go. man in the 80s mm-hmm. <laughs> doesn't matter what you do you're getting paid exactly so. i mean both men end up fairly well mm-hmm. if we think about it well they are the the symbols of of patriarchy within their community like mm-hmm. a high school principal and a priest like they are the pillars of bringing up the next generation and teaching them to be moralistic and upright and look what happened to them I do love the very genuine look into how trauma affects white men in that one and the different paths they take in life. Mm-hmm. One is fine and has a child seemingly of immaculate conception because his wife is never talked about. No. Nope. And then, yeah, the other one is deeply ashamed and goes into the church. To never have sex again. Like literally right. mm-hmm. watching his last fuck burn alive made him never want to have sex again. Mm hmm trauma it's a bitch (laughs) okay so let's jump ahead 30 years to 1987 and meet our protagonist vicky wendy lyon i like her i actually like even before like she gets all possessed and shit i kind of like her i think that she gives a miss lyon gives a good performance and she's a bit overly meek but i mean that's all to serve when mary lou gets over her later well Mm -hmm. and and she's very much that sort of like, she's that very relatable character to me from, like, coming from a sort of strict-ish household, mm-hmm, but, like, okay. still kind of coming out as a somewhat normal person based on how she socialized at school. 
Right. Like I've known plenty of people like that to a certain degree. I was that way in high school. Like I, I get it. And I like those sorts of people. Yeah. I like that. She, you know, gently buffs up against the strict conservatism that her particularly mother, less mm-hmm. so her father. She's a bit of a daddy's girl and her mom is very much Carrie White's mom. Yep. Well, yeah, the, yeah, I was gonna say like that, that, which I kind of do wish the mom had more to do in this movie. Yes. Maybe? I don't know. Do I want that? I think so, because I think it would make the end, like, her more or less killing her mother by jaunting her through a closed door. Oh, we don't even see what happens to her after that, right? Like, that's no. the last we see of her. I'm, yes. I, I think the implication is she's dead. Um. <laughs> I thought so, too. <laughs> okay. I don't know that it would kill you, but that's how I took it. Okay, I'll, I'll buy it. I also like that Vicky has, uh, you can tell that she's a good girl because she is rocking a wicked side ponytail, but she's not too good a girl because she's dating that not quite bad boy boyfriend, Craig Lewis Ferreira, and he's kind of bad because he rides a motorcycle. And he's always pushing sugar on her. Ugh, sugar. So he is the only person in this movie to like, I mean, to have like a notable career after this. Mm -hmm. He was in Saw 4. I knew you were going to bring up software. He's been in like a million TV shows of much bigger note, but yes, software. Well, no. So I have Man in the High <laughs> Castle as one, the Dawn of the Dead remake, but I bring up software because I had to figure out, I was like, I saw his name and I was like, who the fuck is this? And mm-hmm. of course, for, for all the Saw movies, the actors are credited in like almost all of them because of all the flashback and archival footage they use. <laughs> right. So I had to figure out that four is the one he was in. But yeah, he's like one of the random cops that gets killed at the very, 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 very end. Yeah. Hmm. That's not fun. No, but, you know, he looks better in this movie. <laughs> well, I mean, he's so dreamy. Okay, I'm going to ask y'all a question. Do y'all find Craig... His head too big. What? <laughs> Do y'all find Craig or Josh more attractive? Because I find Josh way more attractive. Uh, I'd probably go with Josh just because I think Craig is kind of a wooden dummy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Josh is like... He's got the cred. He's a bit of a ladies' man, but he's also a complete loser. He's mm-hmm. got big hair. He's kind of a lovable goof. Yeah, he's a big doofus, and I and I like that. Craig okay. is just kind of like I've made out with wooden boards who have more charisma. <laughs> oh, wait! Ooh, tell, tell us, us more. Fetish. <laughs> tell us more about these boards. Look, my teens were a really wild time. I did a lot of experimentation, got a lot of splinters. I prefer not to talk about it. <laughs> <laughs> now, were these boards in the outline of Mary Lou, perchance? Uh, well, not exclusively. Uh, oh, okay, good. <laughs> that That's actually really fun. Oh, that, that should be a good mini-sode one or something, or like, like, like your teenage, like, I don't know, childhood sexual discovery, because I actually had a body pillow that I totally cut a hole in. And, oh, no. You know. Okay, let's move on. <laughs> <laughs> when I was a teenager. <laughs> oh, God whereas here we just have vicky who gets really excited about diamond studded religious jewelry she ain't got no body pillow she's fucked well actually i guess she does have that horse let's move on that that horse is doing things to her at night yeah Uh. let's meet the other teens that we will need to know so as we mentioned we've got opportunistic idiot josh who's played by brock simpson apparently he's in all of these prom night movies yes maybe just two through four He's in all four playing a different character in each movie. Okay. I mean, I find one so forgettable. I can't remember anybody but Jamie Lee Curtis and Leslie Nielsen. That's a movie where whoever plays Wendy, like she's like kind of the mean girl of the movie. 
her chasing is brought up a lot um, compared to Sarah Michelle Gellar's and I Know You Did Last Summer. Oh, because it goes on forever, right? It goes on for a very long time, but I- I'm with you. I think it's a very boring movie. Like, out of all those Jamie Lee Curtis slashers, like, that's my least favorite one. Oh, yeah, Terror Train for days. I love Terror Train! Also, <laughs> queer queer, queer stuff in that movie, too. Yeah, David Copperfield for the gays. Um, and also a cross-dressing, well, spoiler alert, but, you know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay, so we also have Vicky's besties, Sassy Monica, played by Beverly Hendry, Love and then Troubled Jess, played by Beth Gondek. Did y'all think that Jess was a lesbian? Uh, no, just because her s- subplot. Well, okay, I-, I agree, but before we find out about her subplot about her being pregnant, there's a part where she, her and Vicky are talking, and then she goes, Vicky, yeah, um, oh, have fun. Oh, like she's gonna come out? <laughs> Mm. I, I wrote in my notes, Lezzy Jesse, but <laughs> then of course, yeah, we get the, the pregnant subplot. But I, I, I see where you're going with that, and I, I get it. I respect your interpretation. Uh- <laughs> <laughs> no, because honestly, when you think about it, like, this movie kills a pregnant girl, like, first. Like, that's, that's your uh-huh. first, like, I mean, outside of Mary Lou. We'll get to it, but that kill is so mean. It's insanely mean, but it's also very playful, like a Final Destination movie, like mm-hmm. Joe mentioned earlier. <laughs> oh, I, yeah. I love it. I love it to death. <laughs> Yeah, I feel bad for Jess. It's interesting because, as I said off the top, I do feel like this movie has a touch of pacing issues. But at the same time, as we introduce each of these characters, I think, yeah, I would have liked a bit more with the mom. Yeah, I would have liked a bit more with Jess. Mm -hmm. Three hour Mary Lou. Right. Give me the extended cut. (laughs) The Snyder cut. The Snyder cut of Mary Lou. (laughs) Oh my god. (laughs) That's our subtitle. (laughs) Okay, and our final important character of the teen variety is Mega Bitch Kelly, played by Terry Hawks, who is Vicky's main competitor for prom queen. I love her. I have no reference point for this, but my sister used to watch this all the time. She is one of the American voices of Sailor Moon. Oh. Yeah, she did a lot of voiceover work. Yeah, she's done a bunch of voiceover, but the biggest thing that she's known for is Sailor Moon. But from what I can tell, she didn't really come into Sailor Moon until season 12. <laughs> which apparently there are more than 12 seasons of sailor moon so oh yeah go. that's one of those shows that just went on forever yeah uh okay and then of course we also have to learn that billy is now michael ironside he is both the father of craig and also the school principal so that's kind of our introduction and the plot really kicks in when vicky goes to the prop closet because she is looking for a five-fingered prom dress option she basically does not want to pay because she doesn't want to get in trouble with her mom. So she figures she'll steal a dress from the drama club? From a trunk, a magic trunk, that supposedly mm-hmm. hasn't been opened in the 30 years since Mary Lou died. Despite it being right there. Yeah, it's super prominent and <laughs> it doesn't seem to have any locks on it. <laughs> this movie is a gem. It's so fun. Ugh. So inside, Vicky discovers the dress, the cape, the tiara, the sash, and as she opens it, the class photo from 1957 in Principal Billy's office cracks, just to make sure that you know, oh shit, something's been awakened. And then, of course, he goes to the church, and that's where we find out that Cooper, who is now played by Richard Minette, has become Father Coops. And he's he's cool, I guess. Yep. He's kind of a non-entity for me. Yeah, he's he's not, like, uh, one of the more memorable characters. He mostly is just around to be Mr. Exposition. Yes. Yeah. 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 
which is a bit of a shame because this movie wants to play like a riff on The Exorcist, but then it doesn't really give him anything to do. Like, this feels like the most scary movie subplot of this movie. Well, we can get to it at his kill, but I think that, like, the main reason they have a priest in this movie is actually really cool. Oh, yes. for the for the method of murder? Yeah, the, the method of murder. I, I love it. Just that, that whole scene I adore. <laughs> and I don't think it works unless you have a priest as a prominent character. But, yeah, right. I kind of wish that they'd figured out how to, like, give his character more definition than just being mm-hmm. the guy... Mary Lou fucked before she died. Yeah. Right, for sure. Yeah, because that really is his defining characteristic. I fucked this dead girl, and then I became a priest. Well, that's, I mean, that's kind of, right? Like, you see a priest in a horror movie, it's kind of like, do you need more information on them? And that's probably what they were thinking with this film. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. Uh, It turns out that Jess has slept with a bad dude who has left her high and dry, and she's pregnant. But none of that shit matters because after class, she is killed in Rube Goldbergian fashion as the Cape final destination, sir. So it looks like she might lose her head in the paper cutter. Then she's hung from a light on the ceiling. And then she's finally tossed out the window to her death. It's not even Rube Goldbergian because like, it's not like there's cause and effect. It's just like Mary right. Lou's extremely indecisive about how she wants to kill her. <laughs> Uh, I mean, she didn't really come off as the most certain of bitches, except for wanting that prom tiara, so... it's not like the door slammed shut, knocked the paper cutter off the table, and then, like, fell onto Jess's neck, right? I like the indecisiveness, but then I'm also like, or is she just fucking with her? (sighs) Oh, I think both. It almost reads like the filmmakers, like, filmed the the paper cutter and were like, wait a minute, we don't have any fake blood for this, (laughs) like... We don't have a decapitation budget. Yeah. <laughs> so they're like, shit, we'll change it mid-scene. It's kind of cool, though, right? So first of mm-hmm. all, I'm imagining shooting this. There's wind everywhere, like blowing all these shredded pieces of paper, which is such a weird detail <laughs> to mm-hmm. have in a murder set piece. But it like edges you to the point where you're like, oh, this bitch is about to get decapitated. And then it blue balls you and says, no, we're going to hang her instead. Like for me, hanging is like the equivalent of again, like shooting someone with a gun in a slasher movie. But because it's so fucking like ridiculous, it's so funny. But I think that because this film knows that we expect, oh, if you see a paper cutter, somebody's going to lose a finger or an arm or a head. I think this is the film knowingly winking at our expectations and saying, oh, you think paper cutter? No. Oh, you think strangulation? No. I'm going to toss this bitch out the window. Yeah. Wait, I was under the impression that she died upon hanging and then Mary Lou was like, cool, and just threw her out the window. Yeah, because I believe they say later in the film that like she died via strangulation and they just sort of brush over the fact that she was thrown out a window. And it's never, like, her pregnancy is also never mentioned. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. I mean, that's supposedly, like, the motive for her hanging herself. Like, that's that's what people latch on to. Right, 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 I am surprised that this film didn't give us the trifecta of, like, bad boyfriends who grow up to be authority figures and have, like, a police officer or a sheriff. <laughs> like, oh, there's the third boyfriend who's a really shitty investigator. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I'd, I'd be down with it. <laughs> Had that runtime, baby. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so uh, the only reference that we will get of Jess for the rest of the film is when (laughs) it seems like Vicky and Monica are a little upset the next day, and Kelly uses this opportunity to encourage them to drop out of the prom queen race, at which point Vicky responds with the line, Shut the fuck up, bitch. Um, I'm gonna correct you, because it's, You shut your fucking mouth, bitch! (laughs) 
because I absolutely wrote that shit down. Also, sorry, I, I want to rewind a second from Monica because Monica's introduction is actually also really funny in a similar way where she's like, doesn't have a date for prom. <laughs> Why can't I get a date for prom? Hey, Monica, not right now. <laughs> <laughs> Why don't guys like me? No, she goes, not right now, asshole. <laughs> Why don't guys ask me out? <laughs> Monica is like the perfect best friend character that I feel like we see the evolution into a Tatum. I, yes, I agree. And honestly, the fact that she died, granted, I love her death, but like the fact that she dies so early is kind of a bummer to me because I liked, I liked her a lot. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I mean, I think one of the other reasons that queers in particular navigate towards this film, not just the Mary Lou-ness, not just because it's actually smarter than it seems on the offset, but also because this film is fucking mean. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Everyone's catty as shit in this movie. But even, like, the deaths. What has Monica done to deserve this death? What has Jess done to deserve this death? I cannot wait to talk about Monica's death because it's simultaneously silly and hilarious, but also horrifying. Mm Mm-hmm. Ugh. Yeah, Monica's death is the best. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Let me tell you, for a first-time watch, that shit was unexpected. Oh, I... I 100% believe it. And you know what movie ripped that shit off? The Lazarus Effect. Donald Glover gets killed in the exact same way, and they spoil it in the trailer. Oh my god, Trace. Spoiler alert for the Lazarus Effect. That was like the top of my queue. (laughs) It's like three or four years old. It's fine. Who could care? But no, but I I saw that movie after seeing this, and I was like, what? They ripped off Hello, Mary Lou! Okay, so what you're saying is you've now identified at least two other films. Yeah, yeah we're, <laughs> we're unearthing this as we go. It's fine. It'll happen. That, that, it's the process of art or whatever. Yes. <laughs> the process of homage. That's what we are. We're art. We, we are art. <laughs> okay, later in the cafeteria, Vicky hallucinates a scene where everyone is dead uh, she sees Mary Lou's face come out of some kind of despicable-looking soupy concoction. I liked that the, cafe- mm-hmm. the, the 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 haunted cafeteria, like yeah. it's like fucking mm-hmm. a Goosebumps book. They're eating Jess's remains, like Ooh, uh, yeah. it's so it's so disturbing. Also, very nightmare. Yeah, yeah. This is our first real taste of oh, okay, and we're also doing nightmare. Yep. Yes. Yes. Oh, I, I guess really too, because Mary Lou getting burned and shit. Oh my god. Honestly, mm-hmm. had they had her like with Freddy Krueger makeup in the last act, which they probably couldn't afford, I would buy <laughs> the comparisons more. They're pretty much there. She just doesn't have as iconic a killing weapon. That she's true. too busy carrying everybody to death. I love it so good. <laughs> uh, yeah. Okay. So. I mean, more stuff happens in the hallway. We've got this weird moment where a thuggish biker presses her up against a locker and, like, feels her up. And then she gets really flustered when she comes back to reality and Kelly sees her. And it seems like it's going to kind of come to something, but doesn't really. Oh, is this when Kelly throws a volleyball at her head? No, we've got to go home and have scenes with mom first. Oh, man, I didn't even write about that. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's like... (laughs) I think they probably could have ended it with just the cafeteria sequence. I don't know that we needed more than that, but... I mean, they probably wanted that snap back to reality, and that was the, the moment they had, but I get it. <laughs> right. It's a good opportunity to reestablish continually the fact that she and Kelly have uh, an antagonistic relationship. Right. And do we like Kelly as a bitch? I know we don't like her, quote unquote, but like, is she an effective bitch in this movie? I think she's a fun character. Mm -hmm. yeah again i wanted a little bit more of her she kind of comes in and then disappears for stretches i wanted more from her death which we'll also get to in a bit 
Oh, her death is super disappointing. Yes, Considering all the other ones in this film, I was like, oh. She deserved the locker death. Sorry, right? we'll, we'll get there. Mm-hmm. At dinner, Vicky and her mom butt heads over Vicky's plan to take a year off before college, which, uh, you know, to any of our younger listeners, absolutely consider a gap year. It's perfectly fine to figure out what you want to do. Don't do it because your boyfriend's doing it, though. Just, you know, a little mm-hmm. me to you. Did y'all take gap years? Or, well, sorry, I, I, I know Joe, but Lee, did you go to college? Uh, I did, and I took a gap year between, well, it was kind of an unintentional gap year because I graduated in a winter semester, but right. I took a gap year between regular college and law school. Yeah. Are you in law school right now? No, I'm an attorney. I don't think I knew that. What the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> Bitch, they popular. Like, they got their shit together, unlike you and I, where we're just working with I would have also put, jobs. and also they're a lawyer in your introduction. <laughs> <laughs> oh, whatever. That's not important. <laughs> you know law. Who cares about that stuff? Which they reference all the time in their court cases uh-huh. <laughs> as some kind of evidence. Just like in the seminal slasher film, Hello, Mary Lou, Prom Night 2. God. Your Honor. The murder weapon was clearly a cape not being thrown out a window. You know what? I might have known that, but I might have been drunk when you told me. So apologies. That wouldn't surprise me. Yeah, it would not surprise me. <laughs> okay, so then we get this great scene where Vicky goes up to her room after butting heads with her mom. She goes up to her room and she puts her hair up and she does the makeup in the very Mary Lou style. And then she quickly removes it when she realizes what she's done. Mm-hmm. I love the the sort of like gradual possession thing this movie does where she I do too. It's really cool because it kind of fits in with that Carrie-esque puberty metaphor. Mm-hmm. But then like on top of that, it, like I was saying earlier, it gives Wendy Lyon a really good opportunity to do her acting chops where she's just kind of going back and forth between these two characters and doing right. gradations between the two of them. It's really fun. I adore that aspect of this film. Well, and I, I don't, I didn't mark the time when the official, like, possession begins, which well, is in the chalkboard scene. It doesn't ever really properly, like, it, it does, I've got the moment, but yeah. it's not like it ever says, like, and she's possessed. It's like, you're catching all of these references, right? It's not subtle about it, but it's also not ever saying, oh, wow, she seems like she's acting more like Mary Lou these days, hmm? Yeah, I mean, it, it's just her being tougher you know it's oh like she's grown a backbone like and obviously this movie is not a deep film but i actually do like the way it handles like it kind of like mirrors the possession to a woman coming of age mm-hmm, and by mm-hmm. coming of age i mean being a huge bitch yep <laughs> which we love <laughs> but what do we make of this rocking horse why why um because it's hot uh- <laughs> oh wow <laughs> So you weren't making out with cutouts of Mary Lou. You were making out with cutouts of horses. You're an equestrian. Yeah. (laughs) I do have a My Little Pony tattoo. Uh, Oh, my God. (laughs) Now you have to get a touch up, though, with the evil red eyes that this pony has. Mm, Yes. Uh, I got a bit of a poltergeist feel from this. I can't remember when poltergeist came out. 82. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so this could have been playing a bit on that. Poltergeist is a lot earlier than, like, most people think, I feel like. But, um, yeah, I, I could, like, yeah, they're, they're kind of, like, referencing the clown from Poltergeist a little bit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That was definitely the vibe I got from the way it was shot and the way, like, the tongue and the eyes. And, and the horse was one of the, the reshoot things, right? Yes. That they added, so. There you go. See, you know more other production than I do. You're good. I'm reading it off of the sheet. sheet. <laughs> oh, I wrote that? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> 
sorry, Lee. He's been hitting the CBD oil so heavily lately. No, 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 no. A lot of times when I'm making my cheat sheet, I just copy and paste without reading. I mean, I'll skim it to see, like, which looks, like, the most, like, interesting, and then I'll just copy and paste, but then I forget about it. Mm-hmm. Oh my god. <laughs> uh, okay, so let's get back to Josh, because he is still a character in this movie. He wants to get with Monica, and they have a little kind of meet-cute moment where they agree to be each other's prom date, and they have a kiss. But then that's over with, so we go to boring. gym class. All the male, like the hetero male stuff in this movie is the most boring part of it, which just goes to show how much of a queer film this is. Mm-hmm. So it's basically real life, is what you're saying. Yeah. All the hetero stuff is super boring. Yes. yes. It's true. Are there any people of color in this movie? No. Oh, no. Okay. Ooh remake this movie but make mary lou a black girl but do you want to do that and make her the villain i mean and also do you want to do that and light a black woman on fire in the first five minutes of your okay. movie no i do not okay you know what now that i'm hearing <laughs> Joe, it out you're loud, so racist <laughs> god damn it <laughs> wanted to light up all these black people on fire jesus christ Wow. Okay, so you hate women directors, and I apparently hate black people, and you're <laughs> both officially canceled. Awesome. Yes. I'm the only one coming out of this unscathed. It's oh, true. Yeah. You're coming out of this as a lawyer and also a pony <laughs> fetishist. You're coming out of this a lawyer. <laughs> Your degree's in the mail, Lee. Uh, I'll put it next to the other one. <laughs> so in gym class, this is when Kelly nails Vicky in the head with a volleyball and apparently knocks her into a dream hallucination featuring Mary Lou cheer girls in a giant spider web. Just a thing that this movie does. I was really enamored with this one as much. Again, it feels a little bit nightmare-y. Mm-hmm. A little too much nightmare Like, I think if there was a spider that had Mary Lou's head, that would have been kind of cool and maybe more relevant. Bitch, we don't got it money for this movie. No, 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 not it money. We're talking like Gremlins 2 money, where it's the spider with the Ooh. gremlin head. Oh, dear. <laughs> you want to wish that on someone? Or the fly, uh, the Vincent Price one, though, where it's just the fly with Vincent Price's okay. head. I was like, this mm. movie doesn't have Cronenberg money. No, not Cronenberg money. <laughs> In fact, Cronenberg probably got all the money that this movie would have gotten. Oh, yeah, Canada. Oh, my God. Mm-hmm. We can only make one movie a year, and... It's either David Cronenberg's The Fly, or Bruce Pittman's <laughs> Hello, Mary Lou, Prom Night 2. You've <laughs> cracked the code. <laughs> just, I'm just looking at... I'm just thinking of, like, the Canadian Prime Minister. He's just got, like, two movie posters in front of him. He's just, like, massaging his chin, like, hmm... Which one do I support? Because also, I'm apparently the Minister of Culture. <laughs> he has the, these two files, like these two manila folders, and it's like the scripts for each film and each one with like profiles on the directors. And it's like, hmm, which one? Which one do I do? I mean, the two of you jest, but I do live in a country where a David Cronenberg film was literally debated about whether it had artistic merit in the House of Commons. <laughs> which movie was that? Shivers. Because it was publicly funded oh. money and people protested it because right, they thought yeah. it was gross. Oh, that makes way more sense with that movie. Okay, that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Which is why he then made Rabid as a fuck you and cast Marilyn Chambers in the lead. Okay. He's like, oh, you don't like it when I use Canadian money for like gross shit? How about I put in a porn actress in my next movie? <laughs> Read my column on Bloody. Okay. Okay, uh, so this is where Principal Billy hears Vicky mentioning Mary Lou. He begins to get very concerned. And, yep, that's and it. Really, that's about the end of it. Yep. Michael Ironside is wasted in this movie. 
Well, no, because the best thing that he gets to do is in the last shot of this movie. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, I'll make an argument that he does get one other really good scene, but again, they're not showy scenes, like the right. kind we would expect like, from Michael Ironside. Imagine if, because I know that this is not what Prom Night 3 is, but imagine if Prom Night 3 was Michael Ironside mm-hmm. possessed by Mary Lou and, like, doing that. Yes. Yeah. Michael Ironside doing a teen bitch impersonation for an entire movie. I mean, th- that's a gold mine right uh. there. Not of money, because no one would see it, <laughs> but, like, of artistic merit. Like Jack Black and Jumanji, but make it horror. Yes. And Michael Ironside. <laughs> yes. <laughs> what we're saying is Michael Ironside should be in the next Jumanji, right? Is that what we're saying? Sure. Sure. I mean, he's, he's in everything, so it's fine. I love him. I love Michael Ironside. Oh, he's great. Yeah. Okay. So let's go to bed, shall we? Vicky discovers that she has inadvertently drawn an incredibly stylized illustration of Mary Lou. <laughs> She's an artist. My notes in all like all caps. She drew Mary Lou. Oh my god. Yep. And that rhymes also. <laughs> I mean, a lot of things rhyme with Lou. This is true. Ah! ah! <laughs> oh my god. What did you Are do? We hysterical. <laughs> I'm Hello, Mary yet. Lou. Prom night two. <gasps> we got some Scooby Doo <laughs> and the Ghost of Mary Lou. Would uh, watch, would watch. And listeners, if you don't know what we're talking about, you should go back and listen to last week's episode on Scooby Doo and Zombie Island, right? Where we don't mention Mary Lou. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so this is where we we get our first real glimpse of the of the rocking horse with its red eyes. We see Vicky gets pinned down and felt up by her sheets, which I did see some people online suggesting is a hint that Mary Lou maybe goes both ways because why is she feeling up Vicky? See, I think you've got much bigger evidence of that later on. Yeah, I was going to say, we, we, we've got some locker room kisses coming up. As far as what this scene looks like, I mean, with the silk sheets, it looks like she's got the outline of a prom dress over her. I actually really liked the effect of this, though. Like, it looks Mm -hmm. like she was vacuum sealed in that bed. Mm -hmm. Yes. I like that, Lee. I didn't even consider that. I was just kind of transfixed by this idea that she was getting kind of entity level molested, but I much preferred the prom dress allegory Mm -hmm. or analogy. Like, she was, like, taking her measurements. (laughs) (laughs) I just need to measure around the curves, and also, do you look good in satin? (laughs) Or do you look good in Satan? (gasps) Ooh. The alternative title of this Uh film. (laughs) Okay, so uh, she hears the radio playing the Mary Lou song, so she breaks it, at which point her parents finally fucking arrive, and she delivers the immortal line... I dropped the radio. It broke in her best Snoozy Mara impression. (laughs) Uh, Yes. Yes. I'm sorry. I had something to say to that and I forgot immediately. And so I have no comeback. Yeah. It's because Snoozy Mara just kind of kills everything, right? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So then Vicky does a late night visit to the cemetery where she runs into Father Coops. And when he realizes that Mary Lou was involved, he also gets very panicked. So he pulls out the Latin. He attempts some exorcist bullshit. But of course, it doesn't work. And his Bible just goes up in flames. Which is cool. Yep. Yeah, it's there. It's there. It's something that happens in this movie. But we're delaying because then we got to get back to the school for bitches. Well, hold up. Because what happens next? 
we're at the kill, right? Uh, no. no. Okay, no, I'm I'm thinking ahead. Never mind. Well, so okay, I have in my notes. Wait, the end goal is to possess the principle, and Jesus is the only thing that will protect him. Okay, mm-hmm. that's right. Okay, that's where we're at. Okay. And then and then Kelly goes to Josh. This is this is the next thing I have. Yeah, I wrote in the subplot. No one cares about Kelly. Offers Josh to rig the prom queen election for one hundred dollars, and he doesn't actually say like we don't see him say no. But then we learn later on he says no. Well, I think he says you know what my price is or something like that. No, he he says that later. He he said you you knew what my you know what my price is, and I was like, do we? Because I don't remember him saying blow me. <laughs> No, he never says that. I but think like you're some right, kind Lee, of like he does say something like, no, you know what my price is. He just doesn't name it in this scene. Mm, got it. I should also mention, just because we haven't really addressed some of the ridiculous costuming, but I did want to make a note that in this scene, Josh is wearing a dragon print white vest over a camouflage t-shirt, and he has red pants. 87 baby it is a lot of love i don't remember what he's wearing but your description of it was so long that it sounds excessive like none of it matches and it feels entirely on point for yes 87 (laughs) but also like in line with his character because he's a fucking Mm -hmm. dweeb he's a lot yeah so this is where we head back to class. We've got Monica passing a sleep-deprived Vicky, the 1957 yearbook, which features a glamour shot of Mary Lou that looks like she had it done by a Hollywood photographer and everyone else went to Sears. <laughs> it's just the actress's headshot. It literally uh, 100%. is, 100%. Not related also, but they do that in Mamma Mia 2, Here We Go Again. Oh, Yeah. All the pictures of Meryl Streep are clearly publicity stills from the first movie. <laughs> oh, 100%. Because, spoiler alert, everyone, uh, Meryl Streep's dead in Mamma Mia 2. Oh my god, that was the second on my cue. Come on! <laughs> it's a really good movie, though. It's better than the original Mamma Mia. Yeah, not saying much, but yeah, no, that's true. Yep. Please, Lee, do not encourage him. It is the second most referenced non-horror film he talks about after the fucking Lizzie McGuire movie on this podcast. We're going to cover Lizzie McGuire for Patreon one day, and people will pay thousands 50, for it. $50. You know what? No, people know my price, and they will pay it if they want that. Nudes? It is a blowjob. <laughs> what? No. Oh, right. Sorry, we're back yeah. to the movie. Blowjob. That makes sense. Yeah. I'll accept a blowjob for a Lizzie McGuire episode. Wait, you're getting the blowjob and I have to do the Lizzie McGuire movie? No, no, no. We need to work this out. (laughs) So at this point, Vicky looks over and she sees Mary Lou in the seat next to her. But it's actually Kelly who is questioning her. But Vicky still smacks her in the face. That's glorious. This is fucking great. Like, maybe that's why they give... Uh, Kelly like a lesser death because she's kind of fucked with these two times but I would argue it's not hard enough like I I needed to see this bitch get flattened (laughs) but this slap is awesome it's pretty good yeah Uh, and it's bad enough to land her in detention at which point this is where she gets properly possessed so she is sucked into the blackboard which becomes a whirlpool and then she emerges fully possessed from the prop room chest it is such a cool effect. I this love is it. Great. This is the only piece that I have like information on. So I'll read this and y'all can comment. Okay. So the special effects guy is Jim Doyle, who had worked on a Nightmare on Elm Street, the original mm. film, with Craven. So this is the most elaborate set piece of the film. Yes. So uh, it's a forty-five second sequence, and they basically scheduled five days to complete it Ooh. at an estimated cost of two thousand dollars per hour. 
and shit, they filmed it with. Uh, and, and honestly, you can tell that it's flat on the ground. Like you can tell that it's mm-hmm. not, you know, yeah. a, a wall. But the, he designed the set with the blackboard lying flat on the ground and uh, filmed it as to so it would appear as if it was standing on end. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you can tell, but I don't actually think that takes away from the effect because it looks really cool. It does! With the letters swirling around in there with her, and then, like, once it cuts away and they've got the letters up on the board, like, mm-hmm. at odd angles and shit, that, that mm-hmm. shit is so cool. It's a really yeah. cool little detail that, again, you're watching this movie in the 80s and you're like, oh, these people are morons. But there's details like that where it's like, no, these people gave a shit, and it shows. Mm-hmm. That's an extra time and energy that they didn't need to put into they could have just had the arms grab her and she disappears through the blackboard yeah exactly which is what i thought we were going to get because the earlier scene where the hands come out of the mirror i was kind of like meh and the scenes where she sees mary lou's face in the cafeteria it's cool but it all comes full circle when you see oh they're actually like playing off of these two minor incidents for this big set piece here Mm mm-hmm yeah, and and give this movie credit for one thing: it does not reuse horror gags. It doesn't. It doesn't try to frighten you with the same thing twice. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I was only going to ask: Do you think that this movie's trying to frighten us? Well, okay, <laughs> frightens a strong word. I, I don't mean that to be like you're wrong. I, I'm like no, legitimately no, no. asking. <laughs> In like the broadest horror film term, like right. yeah, they're 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 fright gags. But no, it's not like. Oh, we're trying to scare you. No, it's it's definitely like a Oh, these are I mean, there's a reason I call them gags. Like they're yeah. Yeah. they're silly. They're fun. Mm-hmm. And this checks all of those boxes. Like I, mm-hmm. I I again, I'd seen this movie before for some reason forgot about this bit and it yeah, it it looks very impressive. I think it's really fun. And honestly, it's better than some of the nightmare stuff we get in those later sequels. Mm-hmm. Right? <laughs> and probably for way cheaper. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Yep. All right, so now we have our new character. Vicky is fully possessed by Mary Lou, so I'm going to call her Mary Lou Vicky, or just MLV for short. Sure. So she visits Father Coop for confession, and she's dropping lines of dialogue from both the exorcist as well as their moment back in the 1957 prom. At this point, she then breaks down the confessional wall, and she stabs him in the mouth with the crucifix, and we get a really giallo-esque spinning camera motion that, uh, I don't know, I again was like, oh, artistry that I didn't expect from this So, we get a pretty fun line when she's like, will you fuck me? But her one-liner pre-kill, which is great, which is how she, like, went to the afterlife, and she was pissed because she didn't have any fucking wings, and that's her killing (laughs) blow. Uh, not just that she didn't have any fucking wings, but that, like, fucking God is a lie. Like, she's mm-hmm. killing this priest and, like, telling him <laughs> that, like, your entire life was fucking pointless, asshole. <laughs> like, it's yep. so great. Well, this m- whole movie, I mean, I didn't know, but I definitely read her mom as a Catholic figure. And then we've also yeah. got this priest. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you think of Mary Lou as a queer figure, she is lashing out against these repressive, conservative figureheads who impose religious restrictions on her, right? Yeah, 100%. Very lashing out against the 1980s moral majority sort of mindset that that dominated that era. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's not like beating you over the head with it. Uh, which I appreciate, but it's there. It's totally yeah. there. Because it's masking in, in entertainment, gory horror, you know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And again, do I think that these people were thinking that when they were making it? 
Probably not. But... No, Trace, I, I don't think you're giving them credit. I think that the deliberate choices were there. Like, they didn't need to make the mother somewhat religious. They didn't need to have a priest character. Like, as we talked about, this character doesn't do anything except this. Unless you're going with the, the critical consensus that, oh, the mom is homaging Piper Laurie and, per- and Carrie. Uh, the priest but is an who exorcist is that character? Right. Like, who are those characters? You're, you're mashing up these elements from different places that also have that same sort of thematic significance. Mm-hmm. Right. It can be both. <laughs> oh, <laughs> like, and bear in mind, I, I'm not sitting here saying, this isn't right. I'm playing devil's advocate. I'm just, I'm coming down on you because... As someone who taught film to students, there were too many times where people would say, oh, well, that's a coincidence or, oh, that's, you know, that's a reach. And the simple fact is, is a lot of the time filmmakers are a lot more deliberate in their choices. Like Mm -hmm. the way that they dress a set, the way that they write a character, like there's determination in terms of the way that they're structuring the film. Yeah, gotcha. Now that I've killed the vibe. No, again, I love this movie. I'm voicing people for people who might be listening to this saying you're wrong so we can address it. Well, to bring it back, uh, just think about the fact that when Mary Lou punches a hole in the confessional, she's creating a glory hole. <laughs> uh, I didn't think about that, but now I love it even more. It goes with the phone number from that earlier scene. Right? Yes. Oh, my God. Side note, glory hole totally on my bucket list. <laughs> Do you want me to keep that in? Yes. Okay. But does it have to be in a confessional? <laughs> yes. No, 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 no. Location is not, no, like, whatever. As long as it's, like, clean. I think that's an oxymoron right yeah, there. I don't I know, think you're going to get a clean hole. glory hole. Honestly, I learned what a glory hole was, not from porn, but when I was watching The Sweetest Thing with Cameron Diaz. Uh, follow the yellow brick road. Yes! Okay, thank you. Lee, you've seen The Sweetest Thing, right? I don't think I have. <gasps> oh my god. Okay, if you want a fucking hilarious sex comedy that isn't good, but it's, like, really fucking funny... <laughs> Seek out the sweetest. It's Cameron Diaz, Christina Applegate, and Summer Blair mm-hmm. in a 2001 sex comedy that was made to prove that girls could be just as naughty as guys in a post-American yeah. pie world. It's very sex positive. At the time, Cameron Diaz got paid the most of any actress in Hollywood. She got paid $15 million. For and it was movie. a flop. It flopped so hard. But there's yeah. also a scene when Summer Blair gets stuck on a guy's dick while she's blowing him because he has mm-hmm. a penis in his piercing that gets caught behind her tonsil. Yeah. Okay, all right. I think you might have sold me on this. <laughs> Thomas Jane is the male lead. It's really funny. It's super, it's stupid as fuck, but oh my god, seek it out immediately. <laughs> all right, all right. You, you got me on that. I will do that. I could do without the homophobia from Jason Bateman, but that's another topic. Yeah, but he gets some anal leakage from those chips that he eats. This is true. Lee has no idea what we're talking about. No, nope. <laughs> all right so the next day vicky shows up in what josh calls a fashion coma she's using elvis presley lingo and she generally acts like a huge cunt to everybody (laughs) including predatory teacher mr craven whose dick she singes after he inappropriately sexually assaults her in class i love this but yeah the, the the creepy teacher is a bizarre inclusion in this film it comes out of nowhere absolutely nowhere i I thought, okay, we've already had a scene with him because he's mocking Josh when he's introducing his potato radio. Potato radio. You gotta rhyme it. Which, by the way, that, that potato ra- radio, uh, I love that dude's monologue when he's, like, introducing it and he's just going, like, I made a guacamole radio, but it only picked up Mexican stations. And I'm like, dude, 
<laughs> I feel like they let this guy improv, and they yeah. just like mm-hmm. they just like yeah, we're not going to cut that. It's too funny. Yeah, you know what? He was already in the first film, and he was pretty good in that. So let's just let him do what he wants to do. Yeah, yep. for sure. Yeah, and I I think he has a line in there that's like, "This will go down in the annals of history," and he we all know how painful has. that can be. Yeah. Yes. Like I love because it, it is annals, right? Yeah, it's it annals. Okay. Yeah, I loved that. I did have a question too with Mary Lou. So, and this is not logic again. How did she know Vicky's locker combination? Maybe she can access Vicky's memories. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. She doesn't seem to have a problem navigating the school or people's or her life. Like she speaks to her parents. Like, yeah. Mm -hmm. All right. Basically, Vicky is just hidden in a back room, like John Malkovich or something. Yeah. So then we get this locker scene. We are up to the locker room. So Monica gets really annoyed with her because she won't stop listening to this damn Mary Lou song. So she turns off the radio and then. Mary Lou Vicky follows her into the showers where they are both naked, and then she does like a pecky kiss thing at her that freaks Monica out. And then there's an extended stocking scene before Monica hides in a locker, and then Mary Lou Vicky just crushes her with her mind. So, okay, a couple things. Um, I don't necessarily love the stalking sequence. I think it kind of just belabors the point. Um, but how shocked were y'all when she came out in full bush? Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's not even trying to delicately hide it with a little bit of shadows. We're talking stark locker room lighting. Yep. Full bush, tits out. And all I could think of was, I know that this is our main actress who has been possessed, but it's still, like, it's so rare to me to see full frontal nudity, even of women. Like, tits I could see, but not right. full. Well, apparently this is, um, it was not scripted that way. And so when the screenwriter was on set for this scene, he was shocked because he was like, oh, I had it written with a towel around her. So we're in full, oh, like, interesting. Kelly Rowland, Freddie versus Jason <laughs> screenwriters versus her word territory here. <laughs> Right. I mean, I think it works for the scene. If anything, it makes it all the more jarring. Like, I can understand Mm -hmm. why Monica reacts the way she does, because there's obviously a familiarity between friends, but at the same time, when someone is totally naked and then invading your personal space and Mm -hmm. making intimate gestures at you, it's unnerving. Like, on the verge of, like, full-on makeout, and, like, if we do look at Mary Lou as, like, a a queer icon, like, this is, like, an affirmation of... Mm -hmm of like her bisexuality and equating that with her villainy is not like great. And I'm not, I'm not advocating that at all, but yeah. like it feeds into the puberty metaphor from, from Carrie and like makes this like a queerer Carrie in a sense. Yeah. I'm going to go as far as to say pansexual, but maybe not even that she might even still be straight, but it's like, Oh, she's such a fucking bitch that she'll do <laughs> anything to anyone to fuck with them including yeah. physical sexual activity like i don't think that when she's kissing monica she's not attracted to her yeah i don't feel an attraction there i feel like it's like a i'm gonna fuck with this bitch a little bit before i fucking crush her in this locker see and i don't know if she's attracted to anybody i think right. she just fucks she's attracted to herself mm-hmm. i think she's attracted to that tiara Oh, she mm-hmm. masturbates the tiara, hands down. <laughs> she takes well, off I mean, the gemstones have to and be. she puts them in. <laughs> but yeah, so, I mean, obviously, this is the queerest scene of the film, because we get, yeah, two fully nude women kissing. Well, one-way kissing, I guess, mm-hmm. is how mm-hmm. I would put it. 
Um, but yeah, I, I I get what you're saying, Leah. But yeah, obviously we don't want to equate her queerness with her villainy, which is interesting considering how often that queer people do gravitate towards villains. Well, I mean that's that's how queer coding works, right? Yeah, for sure. That's who we're socially told to villainize. So that those are the tropes. Well, that's what's so interesting about this scene, right? Is that if we do read this as, ooh, our villain is making lesbian overtones, that's the moral message of a 1987 movie. And then queer audiences from decades later look at it and say, like, look at this bitch fucking around. Ah, wow. What an icon. That That's honestly like the, I mean, because my, my, my idol growing up was Ursula, you know, mm-hmm. who was clearly modeled after Divine. A drag queen. Yep. Yeah, whenever I see that response from uh, straight people or non-queers who are like, well, why do you want to idolize the villain? Like, that's the wrong thing to do, blah, 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 blah. And I'm just kind of like, I don't know. They're cool. I like it. Well, and, and again, like, that's who was idolized in, in the mm-hmm. fiction that a lot of us grew up with. And, like, still to this day, like, queer coding exists wholeheartedly in, in how we portray villainy. So it's not a stretch to see why we gravitate towards these characters even though they are in the wrong within the context of their own fiction right Mm -hmm. because we like them even if we don't relate to the specifics of why they're being villainous we relate to maybe that urge to be villainous yeah or or, or being an outcast even i mean yeah Mm -hmm. there's a plethora of answers you can fill in the blank with that's that's a whole other podcast yeah. Right. No, but, but but no, but you're absolutely right. And I mean, not that we have like a ton of people who are like having that mindset listening to us, but like, yeah, we're like, look, just because we, I don't want to say idolize the villain, but like we hold the villain on a certain pedestal. Well, and I think in this film particularly, it would be easy to say, okay, Mary Lou is a villain because she kills people and she takes over this girl without her permission. But at the same time, whenever you read queer takes on this film, they always talk about Mary Lou as a figure of female empowerment. And if you want to position her as bisexual or pansexual, she's very liberal and progressive in the way that she talks about wanting sex and desiring sex Mm -hmm. and engaging in sex. And I think as queers, again, people who are condemned because of our ostentatious, disgusting lifestyle... We look at Mary Lou and we see, here's someone who's living her life unapologetically, and then she gets fucking murdered for it. Right. She's yeah, a very sympathetic character. On, on top of her villainy, She's you, you look at what happened to her mm-hmm. in an objective sense, and like you feel sorry for her. Yeah. yeah. And maybe she's not dealing with her emotions in the socially acceptable way. Uh, big ol' air quotes there on your audio medium. <laughs> but no, you put the 50s time set on that, though. It's yeah. a sexually repressed woman in the 50s. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So all of a sudden, her rage and her anger make more sense. And granted, yes, the movie totally posits her as a villain because she yeah. kills people. <laughs> but but we don't see her that way as a result because we see our situation in hers. Right. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay, so Monica's dead. Um, only comment about this kill, though, um, the blood that squeezes out of the Oh, locker. it's so goopy. <laughs> it's goopy and also, like, Kool-Aid consistency? Mm-hmm. Well, maybe Monica had a Kool-Aid lunch. Okay, that makes no sense, but sure. It looks like it's made of Krang from Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Yes. Oh, no. Yes, yes, yes. 
Uh, so we go directly from this kill to Mary Lou Vicky making it with Craig, but then he can't get hard. So Are you a fag? A Don't fag. you want to fuck me? Mm. I cackled a bit at this, even though mm-hmm. I feel like I shouldn't have, but I thought it was quite funny. <laughs> Ugh, the F word, but uh, I know I'm not a big fan of the F word, but I, I do love the extremity of, of that. Well, cause it goes from zero to that, right? Yep. Yep. There's not even like a, oh, what's going, no, it's immediately, are you a fag? Yeah. It's kind of insane. Well, if you think about it, she hasn't had sex since she's come back. And she's oh, she's like, horny my bitch. fucking boyfriend. Mm-hmm. I've been in a crate for 30 years. Give me the D. Think of how gays have been after what? 30 days in quarantine. This bitch has been in a chest for 30 years. Girl. Okay. Cut this out. But <laughs> no, like, like cut this out. Move your fat. They can't handle it. Yeah. Also, I'm going to pee. So y'all keep talking. <laughs> so Craig is kind of temporarily out of the picture and we get this fantastic scene. Lee, I'm so happy. It's just you and I, cause we can have an intelligent conversation. <laughs> <laughs> I kid. So Principal Billy has this dream of Craig in the back of a van with Mary Lou. So this is mm-hmm. like Mary Lou proper, the way he imagines her back from 1957. But she's behind Craig, and Craig is kind of crying out. And I was like, is she pegging him in the back of a van? Yeah, I, I don't know exactly what that scene is. Like, it's, it's, it's so definitely there to be like... Oh, Michael Ironside is like clued into what's going on now. Like, oh, Mary Lou's around. He's kind of had this premonition, but like, but it's also like his biggest fear is that his son might have sex with her with his old girlfriend, right? And, and maybe she's the dominant one in this sexual mm-hmm. situation. I am fascinated. It's such a weird little scene, and like it goes by so quick. But yeah, it's a blip. Yeah, I I have no idea if if Mary Lou's just, like, railing him in the ass or what, but... Right? Ugh. It's kind of amazing. Yeah, I love that it's a blink and you miss it, and then all of a sudden she's just there in real life and she accosts him in his office. Yep. I go from my scary dream of my son being raped by my dead girlfriend to all of a sudden being sexually harassed by her in real life. Mm-hmm. Just, like, literally jumping up on the desk. Uh, which is so great. I do love that this comes this early. I mean, it's it, it's the end of the film. You know, it's like the beginning of the third act. But it's not like Billy finds out, you know, in the climax of the movie that this is who she is. Mm-hmm. So I kind of like this, like, premeditated, like, oh, by the way, look at me now, asshole. I'm coming for you. I'm yeah. coming for yours. And she's so confident that he's not going to just, like, shoot her in the face. <laughs> oh, right. It, it, it really puts a pin into his powerlessness. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because he can't do anything to stop her. No. Mm-hmm. I do also love the fact that she jumps on his desk because he's an authority figure at a school. Well, yeah, but this is what Lee was talking about earlier, though, when it's like her performance as Vicky as Mary Lou is mm-hmm. really good. It's just really impressive to me. Yeah, she she cranks the dial all the way to 11 and it is She's so much fun. fun. Mm-hmm. Yep. Particularly from this point on, because the film is kind of gonzo from this point on. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> It's cuckoo bananas. Yeah, this is the point where we cut back to her house and she is wearing the fucking prom dress. She is riding the horse. Her dad comes in. He doesn't understand what's going on. And she makes out with her father in front of her mother. After saying, hold me, daddy. Yep. (laughs) He doesn't stop her. 
He doesn't stop her. Yeah, that, no, that's the really not. interesting thing. <laughs> like, she has been daddy's girl in all of these previous scenes with him, and then he makes out with her willingly? Well, because, okay, he stops when the mom comes in. and <laughs> Okay, we can do this as long as your mom's not here. I mean, come on, man. She is a frigid bitch. He is not getting laid from that. Cold, cold refrigerator. <laughs> Call back to all cheerleaders die. It is disgusting, though. But I will tell you right now that, you know, like, in, like, porn, like, there's, like, you know, father-son porn. I've never, ever understood that. This just grossed me out. Like, this is disgusting. I mean, incest is one of the few remaining universal taboos. So that that's good. That means that you are feeling the right things. <laughs> Thank you. I appreciate that. <laughs> that validation. But I do love that this film has gone from faux or maybe real lesbian implications to calling right. the boyfriend a fag to potentially pegging. To incest. To incest. Mm-hmm. Like, we are hitting all of the beats in like what maybe five minutes uh, honestly <laughs> yes <laughs> yep yep what is this movie slash it's a canadian movie folks that's what i'm saying so that's what you fuckers are doing over there oh yeah across yeah. the if border if you want good times the running joke is that canadian cinema <laughs> is filled with weird sex and snowshoes for a good time call canada mm-hmm. <laughs> we got your frozen glory holes up here is what i'm saying they're clean though right Ah, no promises. (laughs) Depends on what's frozen to them. Right. So at this point, it's prom time, right? So Mary Lou, as Vicky, has got to go. And mom is like, no, you just made out with my husband. You're not leaving this house. Wait, I love that you said you just made out with my husband and not you just made out with your father. (laughs) That's what you went to. (laughs) Whoops. (laughs) I'm, I'm working through my Freudian issues, is what I'm saying. That's fine. That's fine. Enjoy Look, your father. I'm a glass deep into this wine. This is the point in the podcast where I usually start to slurp. So let's move on. That, fair. <laughs> Not fair. Adjust your alcoholism is what you're saying. No, no, it's fine. We all listen to my X-Files episode. We're in a pandemic. It doesn't matter. It's That's fine. true. Yes, I will not be judged in these difficult times. So let's cut back to Principal Billy. He knocks his own son out to make sure that he is not in danger at the prom. He then goes to the cemetery where he digs up Mary Lou's grave, but instead he finds Father Coop's body. Okay, my question. So she dug that up and buried Mm -hmm. him there? Yes, correct. I mean, she's got supernatural powers. Mm -hmm. She fucking Magneto lifted that dirt. (laughs) She's the Magneto of dirt. She has mind power, so yeah, she probably was just like a dirt raise. Because her time management skills are on point because we also at this point learned that she has had time to change the answering machine message at home. Oh, I love that <laughs> yes. too! I, wrote, I love that she updated the family's answering machine. <laughs> it's amazing. And she's not even trying to pretend like she's still Vicky anymore. Mm-hmm. All right. Uma Thurman, Batman and Robin, Poison Ivy. She has a line where it's like, so many people to kill, so little time. The answering machine where she's like, I gotta go. Dancing's to do, people to kill, bye. <laughs> <laughs> Whereas I'll just go with Michelle Pfeiffer from Batman Returns, where it's like the fun never stops on Selena Kyle's answering machine. <laughs> yes! Oh my god! Ugh. So basically what we're saying is that Mary Lou is a Batman villain? <laughs> kind of. A little bit. Curry, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> She's real cheeky. Mm-hmm. 
I do have a, a quick line that I thought was very amusing where Kelly's date, I think his name is Rob. She's chastising him about his drinking problem. And he goes, I drink, I get drunk. So what's the problem? And I just thought, you know what, Rob, I really relate to you. <laughs> <laughs> but he's also an uncharacter. Like that. He's such an uncharacter. He doesn't the mullet die, is his he? biggest attribute. No, we see him in the crowd when the carry damage begins, but that's it. Hmm. Okay, so let's get back to this Josh subplot that we've all been really worried. Like, hey, have they forgotten about Josh? Let's go back to Josh. What's this happening? Is, this is Josh? great, right? Kind of. It's blackmail. Uh, It's not really blackmail. It, it's more tit for tat. It's a financial transaction, right? Yeah. Like, so it's prostitution. Yeah, it's, yes. it's prostitution. It, I mean, he's still kind of skeezy for bringing it up, but like she does it willingly in order to get what okay, she wants. She does not resist hard enough from that initial proposition and maybe it's because there's a there's a ticking clock on this like she's got to get it done real quickly but he's got to get his hands on that keyboard yeah man like i don't she goes down on him real good this just kind of solidified to me that this movie doesn't like men except for craig all of the other men are kind of bad oh yeah we've got cheaters we've got liars the priest is fine no dude he let (laughs) Mary Lou go up and he just pounded the stairs in anguish. Oh. Like he let a girl die. Yeah, okay, that's fair. <laughs> like Rob and Craig are the only two nice guys, but I was very much like, oh, Josh, you're not a good guy. For sure. I thought you were fun. Nope. <laughs> but we do get this funny scene where when Kelly goes back to the dance and she kisses Rob, he says that he likes the taste of it, so secret queer? Um, no. Got any more of those mints? Your breath smells great. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. I mean, honestly, I know we discussed this before, but I feel like a gay man wrote this. It's entirely possible. Or yeah. somebody who is in touch with the community and has a very funny sense of humor. Mm-hmm. Well, because we get in a bit, too, whenever they announce uh, Vicky is the winner, this guy goes, hey, Kelly, how'd you blow it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's right. It's a gem of a line. I loved it. Um, so hopefully this blow Jay was good for Josh because... He did. He did because he just gets electrocuted through his computer, which allows uh, Mary Lou Vicky to cement her win because, of course, you apparently have to file it in a computer so that it'll display on the computers on the stage because 1987. I did like the effects on this, though, as we slowly see his face, like, getting more and more charred. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's fun. The The computer saying, uh, dead wrong when mm-hmm. he tries to put in <laughs> the other girl's name <laughs> as the winner. I love that touch. It's so good. Uh, it's great. If only we could do things like that with technology nowadays. 1987 was so prescient. They just gotta remake Hello, Mary Lou, Prom Night 2. I'm mm-hmm. just saying, between Looker... And yeah. hello, Mary Lou. Really, technology has not delivered on everything I was promised in the 80s. I mean, I'm still going off the Jetsons, so. <laughs> uh, I'm going off Lawnmower Man. I'm waiting <gasps> for that. Oh my god, I love Lawnmower Man. Oh my god. It's so good. <laughs> Hot Jeff Fahey? Um, no? No? You haven't okay. seen Psycho 3. Just wait until you see Psycho 3. I mean, I assume he's just sweaty all the time. Really sexy with enormous teeth. And very white, <laughs> enormous teeth. I mean, yeah, you're just talking about Jeffy. <laughs> oh my god. Is this our thirstiest episode ever? Maybe. We're Maybe. all horny. Uh, okay. It's quarantine, man. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
The corn horn? Yeah. The corn. Nailed it. <laughs> the corn Nailed horn, it. yes. Okay, it sounds like the corn horn, and that doesn't sound very sexy. Well, I mean, we're just back to your glory hole nonsense now, are we? I just want a clean glory hole, man. It's a quarry hole. Quarry hole? Nope. Failing that one. <laughs> a corny? A, a corn, corn hole. <laughs> nope. Oh my god. Nope. I mean, Sorry, yes. never mind. Yes, um, so Mary Lou claws her way out of Vicky's chest <laughs> after... No, she has to get shot first. So she she is crowned. Prom queen, she goes to the stage in slow motion. At this point, Principal Billy is like, you know what? Every 30 years, I just like to get up on the rafters and kill a girl. <laughs> <laughs> And this time he brought a gun, yeah. which that would not work today in our theoretical remake. No. Um, <laughs> no, I don't think you can have an adult man killing a teenage girl. <laughs> oh, dear. And, and apparently he'd still be the protagonist of this film. Mm-hmm. He is our right? hero, ladies and gentlemen. So Vicky is dead. And this is the moment that Craig arrives. But of course, she's not actually dead because this is when the bird body of Mary Lou comes out of her corpse. I love this. The shots of like Vicky's body being like punched up mm-hmm. is really disturbing. But yep. also just like Mary Lou, like coming out as a skeleton, then getting the charred skin, then slowly getting prettier. Like for a film with as low a budget as this, it's mm-hmm. really impressive makeup work. It's a great effect. Uh, yeah, I think it looks really good when she's coming out. Unfortunately, before she starts to reanimate and look pretty again, there is a very noticeable moment where you can see the end of the mask at her neck, which I was like, mm, oh, yes. that's mm-hmm. not great. I caught that too. It does remind me a bit of, um, because this would have been a year before Hellraiser. Hellraiser. No, Hellraiser is 87 as well. No, it is not. It's 88, isn't it? It's 87. You know, I'm not going to fight you on it. I know you know your Hellraiser. Right. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, as soon as I saw that effect, I thought, holy shit, this movie is either doing Hellraiser, probably not, or it's doing the same kind of effect at the same time, which is, I mean, Hellraiser doesn't have a huge budget either, but I just love this idea that these low, low budget horror movies are going for it in this right. time. Mm-hmm. And yeah, let's quibble with the mask. Fuck that. It does look really good. Unfortunately, yep. this is kind of the most impressive part of this climax because we get kelly getting a light fixture falls on her which sounds cool but then it's like oh no it's like a neon light and it just stabs her in the stomach a bit yeah it just kind of falls on her and we don't really get a reaction shot she doesn't cough up blood no we don't see anybody else really getting killed and i can't help but wonder if they either didn't want to go that heavy into carrie or if they just didn't have the budget for it well i think and and maybe this is just an accident of the production but I feel like she's kind of like the least worst offender of all of the victims. Mm. Everyone else is kind of either standing in Mary Lou's way towards sexual liberation, or they are emblematic of the sorts of sins that she got punished for and they aren't. Right. If anything, she should be feeling a kind of kinship to uh, Kelly, like, hey, you're a bitch, I'm a bitch, we're all bitches. We should go right, to the mall. Right, exactly. <laughs> but see, though, it's like gays, though. You know, you can't find two gays and put them in the same room because they're going to hate each other. So it's the same mm-hmm. thing with bitches. Or they're going to cornhole each other. Yeah. Yes, cornhole each other. <laughs> I think also at this point, this isn't what the climax of the film is, right? The emotional catharsis is Mary Lou going after Craig because she wants to get back at Billy. So killing all these other kids is immaterial to her ultimate end game. Yeah, she's just having fun. Yeah. 
Yeah, and I I will confess, everything post the prom stuff, like once we're like chasing Craig around the props room. Oh yeah, who could care? Eh, yeah. It's kind of the weakest part of the movie. It is. I do like the fact that he's so dumb that he opens the door because he hears Vicky and she just waltzes in and then she's like, you're an idiot. <laughs> oh, sucker. That's what she says, sucker. Mm-hmm. Um, what would have been a good subversion and had this been made today? You have Craig be killed in the locker room for some reason and have the final confrontation be between her and Monica, who's her best friend. Right. Mm-hmm. Very Jennifer's body. Yes. Oh, yeah, yep. for sure. Absolutely. Yeah, you just described Jennifer's body. <laughs> so Jennifer's body was homaging Hello, Mary Lou prom night too. Diablo Cody knows her shit. Oh my yep. god. This movie is iconic in so many more ways than we ever knew. We'll have to make a list for the show notes. <laughs> uh, so speaking of, this movie does make a little bit of an Evil Dead camera homage when we track through the town and we blow up her gravestone. And at this point, this is where Principal Billy arrives to make out with her. He's got her tiara, and we flash back to 1957, where the dance went in a different direction, and she just had a lovely post-celebration dance with Billy, and everyone claps, which somehow means that her spirit in the present has been appeased, and she's back in the box. Well, except that's not what it means. <laughs> well, but then Vicky comes out all Carol Ann wet from Poltergeist, and she's just like, Hello, I'm coming from the ghost world! Yeah, she's so covered in goop. I was like, did she get flushed somewhere? Has she been covered in ectoplasm? She was in the other side, Joe. Oh, I don't get that reference because I've only seen five minutes of it. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, this is all kind of mad, but I love the stinger at the end of the movie. Yeah, so Craig and Vicky get taken away. You know, the, the police are on the scene and they get packed into a car by Principal Billy. Then, of course, he reveals that he has Mary Lou's ring and also a personalized vanity plate, which I think says Mary Lou, too. It does. Yep. But Lou is L-U. Yeah, because, of course, you know, we have a limited amount of space. Oh, yeah. Canada. Yeah. And, uh, you know, of course, at this point, we get confirmation that Mary Lou has now possessed Principal Billy, and we ride away into prom night three, which is Michael Ironside doing his best teenage girl impersonation. If fucking only, man. (laughs) So, so, Joe, I know you haven't. Lee, have you seen prom night three? I've not, no. You know what? Fuck, maybe I'm going to find that and watch it. I don't know. I've heard it's like, it takes the humor in this and dials it up to like 20. So it's like stupid. And I so don't think it's smart, stupid. it's uh, Sleepaway Camp 2 and 3. Okay, <laughs> you say that, but I love Sleepaway Camp 2 and 3. But it definitely dials it up, like, a million. But I still think that's smart. Like, okay, again, I think I've said this before, full disclosure, I think that Sleepaway Camp 2 and 3 are better than Sleepaway Camp 1. I think they're just very different films. They are, but I would rather rewatch 2 and 3 over 1 any day of the week. Well, now you've got me intrigued. I might need to watch Sleepaway Camp 2 and 3. Oh my god, it's so fun! <laughs> It's definitely a lot of fun. Just don't expect the same weirdness. Yeah. It's almost a satirical parody of one. I've only seen two. It is. No, I could be down with that. No, it's like a straight up comedy. Because, hey, I know, I don't think that one is very funny. I just think it's quite bad. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm kind of on that side of it, too. With two and three, it's not good, but like it's more aware of how bad it is. I feel than one was and it's just really funny I think two's better but like they're very funny movies that in a way that I don't think one works as well well eat shit and live trace (laughs) (laughs) I know I'm just I'm never gonna be on the sleepaway camp train like people love it and I I, 
I own it. I need to watch it again because I haven't seen it in a couple years. But like, I just remember being kind of like, Ugh. but then I saw two and three, and I was like, this is super fun. Well, maybe don't watch it until we have to do an episode on it. And I know that way you don't have to watch it more than once. Um, anyway, yeah. So if you want to hear more about three and four, I would direct you to Gaylord's episode because Anthony takes Stacy through three and four, and he talks about how disappointed he is in them. He oh. loves them, but also hates them. Okay. Well, final thoughts on Hello, Mary Lou, Prom Night 2? I absolutely adore this movie. Mm-hmm. I do too. It's so fun. Yep. It's very silly. It's way smarter than a lot of people give it credit for. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's just a really campy good time. And Mary Lou is a villain that I really wish got like some sort of revival because goddamn, she's a fun character. Although yeah. I don't know that we'd get someone who could play her quite like Lisa Shrash. <laughs> there you go. That was a good cover up. No, I, I agree. And that's why I'm honestly, even though I'm primed to be disappointed in Prom Night 3, I still want to see it because I read the Wikipedia like the beginning of the summary and it's like she breaks out of her jail cell in hell by using a nail file. <laughs> all right well we're off to a good start <laughs> um no i am on yours i think this is super fun i think it's a blast again no right to be as fun as it is i would watch it over the original prom night any day of the week oh yeah yeah, yeah and yeah. yeah this needs a blu-ray screen factory arrow i don't fucking care who it is get on this shit yeah and you can't tell me that the canadians are holding out the rights for this like you should be able to buy it with a donut and like a toonie I don't think they know who the rights holder is. I think that's the issue. Oh, okay. That's disappointing. Yeah. I I think that's the only reason this movie hasn't been released, because no one knows who's holding the rights. (sighs) Okay, well, can Anonymous get on the case? It's not like they've got anything better to do. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And then, Joe, do you have any final things to say? Oh, uh, I'll just echo what you guys said. I think this movie is great fun, way smarter than it needs to be or is expected to be. And Mary Lou is every bit the queer icon that I had hoped she would be. And I'm a big stan. All right. Well, then, that can close that chapter on Horror Queers. Um, But before we announce what we're covering next week, Lee, what do you want to plug? Do you have any big court cases you want to discuss? (laughs) No, I do not. Uh... If you want to follow me on Twitter, you can. It's Lee Munson PBF. Otherwise, once uh, things calm down a bit pandemic-wise, hopefully I'll get back to writing a few more things. uh, And you can find me at my usual haunts at uh, Birth Movies Death and Slash Film. Yes. And uh, if you'd like to contact us, you can visit our Horror Queers Facebook page or our Horror Queers Facebook group. Tweet us at Horror Queers or go to at Horror Queers for Instagram or email us at horrorqueers at gmail.com. I mean, honestly, y'all, by this point, you can find us. It's really fucking easy. If you have two seconds, please head over to Apple Podcasts and leave us a rating or write a review. You can buy Horror Queers merch like t-shirts, stickers, mugs, pillows, and stuff at tpublic.com. That is T-E-E-Public.com. If you want even more content, please visit our Patreon page at patreon.com slash horrorqueers, where you can sign up for exclusive bonus episodes. Uh, normally, those would be over recently released horror films, but um, <laughs> since nothing's coming out this month, we're going with a the possession theme. Uh, mm-hmm. We've got episodes on the taking of Deborah Logan and Insidious coming out, as well as an audio commentary on the unrated cut of the Evil Dead remake. So yeah, go pay for that and listen to us. It's going to be fun. But, Joe, Mm -hmm. what are we covering next week? All right, so we are closing out the month of May 
We're going to take a little trip over to the other side of the world, Trace. We are going to check out The Handmaiden, which if folks listen to our interview with Eric Carmelo, they will know that this is one of the films that inspired The Perfection. So if you haven't seen it, that gives you a taste of what to expect from this motherfucking movie. Yes, um, and The Handmaiden is like The Perfection, except it's an hour longer. <laughs> and, you know, also in another language, and it's also Korean. and it's also historical, and yeah, yeah, but it's practically the same. But it is really, it's part Chen Wook, um, the guy that did Old Boy, so y'all should know you're in for a treat, but um, yes, mm-hmm. so we will discuss that next week, uh, and Lee, again, once again, thank you for joining us to discuss Prom Night 2, it was some much-needed levity in this these troubled times. Mm-hmm. Oh, thank you for having me, I'm a bit jealous I'm not here for The Handmaiden, but... Uh... <laughs> That's okay. You got Prom Night 2, so deal with it. Yeah, it's a fair trade. (laughs) (laughs) But on that note, we can cross out Hello, Mary Lou, Prom Night 2. Yes, and cross out Horror Queers. Disgusting Podcast Network, home of creepy, disturbing, and terrifying creepy pastas, SCP archives, weekly full cast storytelling, horror queers, genre commentary from an LGBTQ perspective, and the Boo Crew. Horror centric interviews. Listen free wherever you stream audio and at bloodydisgusting.com slash podcasts.